Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hello and welcome to Dwell, a Cersei Institute podcast for homeschool moms by homeschool moms. I'm Emily Hill and joining me are Karen Kern and Renee Mathis. Hey friends. Hello. Hey Karen. All right. So Emily Dickinson wrote, there is no frigate like a book lands away, nor any coursers like a page of prancing poetry. This traverse may the poorest take without a press of toll. How frugal is the chariot that bears the human soul. So when I was a girl, I don't know, maybe 10 to 13, somewhere in there, I read the Emily series by Ellen Montgomery. And I'm sure a lot of you have read a lot of her books, uh, the Anne of Green Gables series being the most popular, but I somehow just resonated more with Emily. Maybe it was the name. Maybe I was just associating with her name there, but she was a little bit melancholy. Anne is always so cheery. I was not a cheery child. So Emily was rather melancholy. And when I read this series, my life was changed. That's a really strong statement. I didn't know that I was a changed person when I read Montgomery's works, but through Emily was somehow able to put words to myself. And this has happened to me countless times. And actually, uh, this just happened to me this past week as I read again T.S. Eliot's Ash Wednesday. And I told a friend, Eliot writes the words that are inside me, but I don't know how to say. And if you are a classical homeschooler, as most, most of us are here, I'm sure you are a lover of great books and you've been shaped by books and formed by books and you teach books. And maybe your great love is Homer, like Andrew Kern, or Hannah Coulter, if you're Karen Kern, or any of the other hundreds and hundreds of soul-forming books that we've picked up over the years. And sometimes we devour stories 
And I'm sure you guys remember times that, you know, you're under the bed sheets with a flashlight. This just happened to my daughter the other day. And I was like, what is going on in there? And sure enough, you know, it's midnight. She's under her blankets with her light, finishing a story. And sometimes it's trudging through faithfully a good stories. But why? Like, what is it about stories more than any other written text that continues to not only shape who we are as people, but somehow just become a part of us. So as the three of us here have read a lot of stories and taught a lot of stories over the years, we'd love just to have a conversation of what do they do? How do we teach them? How do we learn them? What's the big deal? And I'd love to hear from you, Karen, you were sharing a little bit, um, some of your thoughts from your reading lately of what does the story do and how is it important to our own imagination? One of the important things I think stories do is that they give us characters that we can relate to, um, maybe because they are people encountering things similar to us. Maybe it's because they're set in a time period that stimulates our imagination that we that we maybe would have loved to have lived through or were curious about a certain period of time. Um, I have enjoyed reading stories lately written in around World War I, World War II, or, or those intervening years, maybe because uh, my grandmother during that time and was growing up and I'm just curious about what life was like during those times as we get further and further away from that. Um, so they give us characters that we can relate to, but they also give us characters that we can inspire to be like. And so right now I'm reading Jane Eyre with the Close Reads group. And I'm also beginning to read Anna Karenina. And these stories, you enter into the story in a way that you don't enter into a statement. So Flannery O'Connor said, you tell a story because a statement would be inadequate. And it puts you in a place and in a time and in a character's head even that you can relate to and you can inspire to be like that person or to wish you were like that person or to be warned to not be like that person. So those are stories that you're currently reading, probably stories that your kids read when they were teenagers. But for those of us who have little people, it's just, it seems an age, an ageless and timeless endeavor stories do so what does it look like for our little people like what what is the why read stories to a two-year-old you read stories for a two-year-old because um you'll do anything to keep them quiet (laughs) (laughs) and sometimes uh cuddling up with mom on the couch will work stories are just fun they're delightful they you hear language dip up around in your, your head and in your mouth and, and you get to play with language and it's, it's just delightful. I, I mean, some of my little granddaughter, the little one-year-old's favorite little board books are the, the Sandra Boynton board books, the going to bed book. Um, if you've read that one or Ba la, 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 my, my grandsons loved one called chicky, chicky, chook, chook, you know, and you just can't even say those words without laughing. So, um, Stories are a great way to start with kids and to get them used to the fact that sitting there and listening to mom open this book and read what's on the pages is a good thing. It's a happy thing. It's something we like and we enjoy. 
Um, I used to tell people when, you know, we talked about homeschooling with five kids that there's a lot of things that, that were hard and a lot of things I didn't care about when I look back on it, but I never regretted any of the read aloud time that we spent. Those were just precious, wonderful hours that, um, you know, that's an investment, it's an investment in your kids. So start young and get used to it. That's what I would encourage moms. If you don't think you're good at reading stories, don't worry about it. Your kids will just be happy to hear your voice. Um, and you get better when you practice. That's okay too. But, but just pick up, pick up a well-known book or something that your friends recommended or whatever and just dive in. There's so many good stories out there. And I think that when the stories are written beautifully and the illustrations are beautiful, there's something about that experience together that um, draws you to, it just draws you together enjoying those things. And you never get tired of the beautiful books. Like I never, ever get tired of reading the Little House in the Prairie picture books. You know, the ones that have been illustrated and shortened into little, little children's stories. So yesterday I read Serafina, uh, one that was Dance at Grandpa's. And we read about, um, I don't know, it's a volume of three of those illustrated. We got to the end of the three books and she said, read it all again. And, and we read it all again because it's such a beautiful experience to read a beautiful book that's beautifully written, like Owl Moon or The Ox Art Man. You, you don't ever tired of that. All the Virginia Lee Burton books, Mike Mulligan. Mike Mulligan yeah. and the Steam Katie Bell, and the Big Snow. The Little House. Yeah. The Little House. Yeah. Yes. Isn't it funny how just it, it almost becomes like a reminiscent and nostalgic thing when you have older children and you start even like thinking about the stories that you read together and how it's always stories. It's not like the history textbook. Like, oh, remember that time we read about American history? Oh, that just, there is something very relational and connecting about a story, which even like historically, it goes back before stories were written down. Stories did connect communities. You would have your oral storytelling and we all get together and, you know, whether we're like sharing the Iliad or whatever, um, fairy tales, folk tales, all of those stories were passed on from generation to generation as a way of keeping communities together. And we are actually going to go into a whole thing on that later. So I won't, you know, dive too deeply into that. Um, but even for my own family, there was a little bit of, Maybe, maybe it's, do you guys know this, like the mom grief of your kids growing up when they pass into a new and very good stage, but they're leaving something behind. And one of the most beautiful things about stories that we participated in with my young children was how it like sparks and awakens imagination and how young children have such like vibrant, like vivacious imaginations and how these stories just feed it. So I noticed this the other day. Um, I have my my third born. She's like just she's just like right on the edge of womanhood. She'll just she turns thirteen this year, and she's she really is a voracious reader. But I've noticed that she's leaving some of that embodied childhood imagination behind, mm -hmm. where you have to act everything out. You have to be that right. And that's why, it, like, from the time you're two, three, four, five, you are that. You take on the character in the story, whether it's a princess or a bear or, I mean, how many of y'all's, like, kids played animals? Now we're the dogs in 101 Dalmatians. Now we're the whatever it is um, in the story. 
and how the gift of reading aloud and sharing those stories in some ways is you offering them that awakening of that wonder and imagination and beauty. And I think fairy tales are one of the most amazing ways to do that. And actually we were just talking a little little bit earlier about fairy tales and how they're okay. Some of them are like a little bit dark and a little bit troublesome. And should we read, you know, we're always like, read those fairy tales to your kids. It's so formational. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Renee, I know you kind of had a couple of thoughts of like, should we read dark stories? Yeah. And I think we should as appropriate. I mean, and when I say that, I mean, there are, there are some things that every parent you know, knows their child and obviously you're not going to do something intentionally to hurt or harm your child. If your child is, you know, is, is afraid of a certain thing, maybe you're going to back off on that subject for a little while, but fairy tales as a whole are, are good for a lot of things. I know we were talking about, you know, Vegan Garoyan has written a beautiful book called um, Tending the Heart of Tending the Heart of Virtue. <laughs> Thank you. Tending the Heart of Virtue. Memory, memory <laughs> loss here. Uh, about this, this thing called the moral imagination. And he writes so beautifully about how stories form our imagination that he has so many good things to say. And, and one of those things that forms the moral imagination is fairy tales. Fairy tales have a clear good versus evil First of all, you know who the good guys are and you know who the bad guys are. I mean, yeah. And, and nowadays it's so popular in our postmodern cool culture to have someone maybe start out good and then later we find out, no, we've been tricking you. They're really bad. Fairy tales don't do that to a kid, right? It's very clear. We know who the good guys are. We know who the bad guys are. Fairy tales end in happily ever after. They teach us to look for that good ending. They, they, they train us to want to see things set right. And in a good fairy tale, things are set right. There's a good sense of justice and of right and wrong. And, and the ones that we want to see, you know, do well in the end usually do. And, and the bad guys get theirs in the end, right? And so we're happy to see that as well. We want, we want to see that, that, that inner part of us that wants to see justice meted out usually sees that. Um, and, and in his book, Groyan quotes, I believe it's Chesterton, he says, we read fairy tales and not not to show our kids that there are dragons, but to show them that the dragons can be beaten. And I probably butchered that quote. But, but the idea is to teach them that there is something out there that is stronger and badder and bigger than the evil. And so then, of course, when we transition and, and we start reading into reading Bible stories, right? Um, there's, there's some bad guys in Bible stories. There's some bad, there's some hard stories to listen to, but God is good and God is bigger and we know God wins in the end. And so we don't have to be afraid of that as parents. So yeah, I would encourage you to read your kids a lot of good fairy tales. And I think that fairy tales introduce children to those permanent things that Russell Kirk talks about that Vegan Ryan refers to. The They introduce them in a story form to the big permanent things like love, like virtue, forgiveness, redemption, bravery, suffering, all of those themes that are actually all part of the great redemption story, right? That, that our whole world is a part of our cosmos. And it, it kind of gives them a framework to understand story and metaphor, which they need going forward to be able to understand truth 
or to be able to recognize goodness or to be able to appreciate beauty. It's all part of a, it's all, it seems like just a simple story, but it's the fairy tales are not just simple stories. So they, they prepare them for the big thing. Yeah, and, and Karen, because when you look at how Christ taught, Christ taught in parables, right? He taught in stories. And in order to be able to understand a parable, you've got to be able to, in your mind, imagine that thing that he's talking about. And then we also have to understand metaphors, which again means our imagination has to work, right? When he says, okay, so the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. Well, I've got to know what a mustard seed is and I've got to understand how is that thing like that other thing? And I've got to hold that in my head and try to picture that. If you've never had to use your imagination or ever been read a story, that's going to be really hard. Um, but if you have read stories and you've built up kind of that, those uh, things in your brain that you can then start making connections with, then when you read, well, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. What is a shepherd? What does a shepherd do? How does a shepherd act? Um, then I can imagine and I can picture what Christ is trying to get across, what he's trying to teach me. So imagination is it's valuable for a lot more than just being able to understand a story. You know, we want our imaginations to work well so they can understand the gospel. And then when Christ says, how do you want your neighbor to treat you? Well, imagine, you know, or the golden rule, basically do unto others as you would have them do unto you. I have to be able to picture what that would feel like for someone to do that to me, which again, that, that ropes in my imagination. So Imaginations are pretty important. And there's another great book, um, Anthony Esselin, 10 Ways to Ruin the Imagination of Your Child. So he kind of takes the backwards look at it, you know, in a sort of a humorous way. But, okay, if you want your kid to have a terrible imagination, do this or, or don't do this. So I would recommend that one. That's another good one. It is. It's from a, a satire perspective, for sure. Really enjoy it. And there's actually a lot of... Um, books written on the uses and understanding of fairy tales. So if that is something that you're just, you're curious about, like, I wonder what, uh, kind of what is the history? What is the background of fairy tales? Because in classical ed worlds, you do have a lot of conversation of how important fairy tales are. And sometimes when you start reading them, you're like, this is just kind of weird, actually. One in particular is a book called Uses of Enchantment. And it's, it's really easy and accessible read, but super fascinating kind of walks through different fairy tales and kind of talks about what's really going on here. I think you'd be really surprised. Like, wait, that's what's happening in the story. But this is why stories matter so much to the formation of children in that they don't have to think, okay, this represents this and this means this. They have this cohesive big picture understanding that they actually can take that story in make it a part of them and help them make sense of their world. And of course, other books do that too. It's not just fairy tales. This is why we have so many favorite books that we read our kids. What are the books that just invite them to explore questions about life? Like, who am I and why am I here? And, you know, the should question, should this happen? Who should I be? And Books like Lord of the Rings or Peter Pan, Treasure Island, Narnia. I think of, um, did you guys read My Side of the Mountain with your kids? Yes. And I mean, as you're reading My Side of the Mountain as a mom and you're thinking, 
this boy runs away from home and lives in the mountains for a year. And nobody seems too concerned about this. As a mom, I'm thinking, I would be like having a panic attack that my child, who seems to have a fine relationship with his family, because they all meet up at the end and are happy, a, a kid doesn't, that they don't think anything about that. That's me as a mom thinking that. All they can think of is this grand adventure of endurance and survival and ingenuity of this boy. And I actually think it says in that book, every boy in his life should run away once. Which is not what a mom wants to hear. That makes me think of Pinocchio. I I would read that to my third graders every year. And there would be parts of that book where he would once again choose the foolish action and not go to school and some terrible consequence would come and you could hear a collective sigh. Everybody would go, oh no, you know, under their breath. And I remember one little boy was just distressed and you know, I asked him, are you all right? Or whatever. And he said, well, that's just what I would do too. And it was just a, a moment where everybody went, yeah, me too. Because they, well, first of all, they just loved the story. They loved the character of Pinocchio, but they could so relate to his mischief and his consequences. It was, it was funny, but I know that none of them will forget that story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, everyone who's had a dog and who's read Where the Red Fern Grows understands. I mean, Emily, you asked me earlier, which book made me cry. I would probably say that one definitely. And, um, but, but a really sweet story about that is my grandson several years ago, they lost their family dog under tragic circumstances. And I asked my daughter, I said, you know, how's Gareth handling it? And she said, well, he just finished where the red fern grows. So he's pretty matter of fact about and I thought, what great timing, right? The Lord put that book in his life right before he needed it, you know? And, and, and the happy ending, they just got a dog last week, and she's a coon hound, and they named her Daisy. And I asked Katie, what does she look like? And she said she looks just like the dog from where the red fern grows. <laughs> so, story. I love what you said there, Renee. And I, I, I'm not sure I've really thought about this very much, but as you said it, it sparked this in my own mind. They needed that book right then. They needed that story right then. And I wonder how often that happens to in our own lives, in our kids' life. And we didn't, we don't even know it, right? It's not like, okay, I know my kid's going to be going through this, so I better read it that we get all like didactic about it or something. Like just keep reading. Just like keep reading great stories to them. And you don't know when it will be that they need that story. So, mm-hmm. so I did pose that question earlier to Karen and Renee. What is a book that has made you cry? <laughs> so there, you have one. If you are a person that did not cry over where the red fern grows, I don't know. There might be something wrong with you. <laughs> mine, mine is Hannah Karen, Coulter. what made you cry? always makes me cry. And okay. I, it's a combination of... Um, the, just the, the great love that is expressed through his beautiful writing. I, I marvel that a man could even write that, you know, there's that scene where Hannah is nursing her baby in bed at night and she's lost her husband. She's a young widow. And the beauty that he writes with that makes me cry every time. And other, just, I think the, the beauty of the community, um, her marriage to Nathan, her loss of Virgil, just 
so much, I think maybe the older I get, the more I see that people have really hard lives and there is a lot of sadness. And yet you can read a story like that. And there's hope, even though at the very end, you, you don't know about her grandson. Is he going to come back? And that's where a lot of us live our life. Like a, a lot of us with older children, um, we don't know for sure how it's going to turn out with some of them. You know, I think, so I think that's a book that resonates with me a lot for those reasons. Well, and regardless of age, stories do evoke such great emotion that, you know, a textbook just can not ever do. I mean, this is actually why historical fiction exists, right? You can read history, but how many of us have just been so drawn in to a work of historical fiction? And whether that's crying or you know, like the, the Pinocchio story, oh, I would do that same thing or no, don't do it. Or you come to the end of the chapter and your kids are like, no, read another one, read another one. I, I have to know what happens. And how often our emotions are drawn in, which is such a connector between what we think about just, you know, our brains and our physical experiences and how stories just somehow connect those, those things for us, for ourselves, for our children. I remember when I read oh, Island yes. of the World by O'Brien. Michael O'Brien. What is his name? O'Brien. I never in my whole life has, have cried so much over a book. I think I just cried for, it's a 900 page book. I finished it in three days and I cried for three days straight. I was probably, I don't know, 29, 30, something like that. My children were like, are you okay? I'm like, no, I'm not okay. And that was one of those books that I actually will never be okay again the rest of my life after reading this book in a good way i should never be okay it kind of it just tears you up a little bit but you come out on the other side of it with a deep deep love of your fellow man and other humans and what does it look like to live in a world with them so i mean that was a book that and, wow, that and in a world that is so broken you know the time period of that book and the place and it's not like our world is fixed, you know, like. But somebody could tell me all day long, the world is a terrible, broken place. But there is something so formational about this narrative form of a broken world. And yet a human's love for their fellow man throughout it. And I think. I can do that. It's like you were saying earlier, Karen, when we were talking in um, yeah. the long winter, Little House on the Prairie. Like, if Ma can do it, I can My do it. My winter is not that long. <laughs> that's right. Well, and that's exactly why we, you know, we read these stories to our kids and not so that we can beat them up over the head with, with a moral lesson, right? Because that's one of the things that Garoyan brings out in his book. Um, we don't need to make every, every story shouldn't be a little moralistic package all neatly tied up but just by reading the story and hearing the story i think kids can oh wow i i want to be like that person right we, and, and we want them to have those heroes right that's one of the things we want our kids to have our world is so obsessed with knocking heroes off of pedestals or not putting them up there in the first place and you know oh they can't be that perfect there's got to be something wrong with them 
no, read stories with heroes and, and let our kids have that adventure and that, that joy of saying, I want to be like that person or, or I want to meet a challenge the way they met a challenge or, wow, you know, they had to deal with something really hard. I hope I never have to deal with that thing, but I still kind of liked hearing how they handled it, even though I hope it never happens to me. And and we don't have to tie those up with little moralistic lessons. You know, the, the book can do what the book does just fine. Like Flannery O'Connor said, right? You know, tell a story. Let the story speak for itself. Um, I love her writing, by the way. She is, she's so amazing in her descriptions of people and places. And even if, you know, she said something like to the blind and the hard of hearing, you shout and you use a megaphone to get your point across. And boy, she uses that megaphone. But um but yeah, our, our kids need that. They need they need those those experiences of learning to identify with someone outside themselves. And when they're little, they act they do act it out, right? They they find costumes, they, they act it out when they're when they're older, they don't act it out, but it's in there. And and they don't mm-hmm. even verbalize it, but I, it, it it's in there. That's why it matters so much what they're reading. And finding those associations. I remember when we read the Pinderwicks and we read the whole series aloud and just on their own, my kids were like, okay, so this child is most like me. That child is most like you. They did the same when we read Narnia because there was, you know, four kids. Lucy's the most like Ellis and Peter's the most like Caden. Um, and that wasn't even something I was like, okay, match up to see who you are in the story that they just have a natural identity with characters. And in conversation, it happened today, I was reading True Grit to a middle school class and we were just right at the beginning. And this isn't, this isn't a story spoiler because it happens right at the very beginning. But at the beginning of the story, you find out that this 14 year old girl's father has been killed. He's been murdered in cold blood. So she's going to avenge her father and seek justice. And I asked the students who most of them are 13, 14. All right. How many of you, if your father had been murdered in cold blood, would go after the murderer to avenge your father? And I don't know, some hands went up. They're like, yes, I totally would. And some other hands were like, "Mm." and one girl said, I like to think I would. And I hope I would, but I probably wouldn't. And like, it's them wrestling with, who am I and what would I do and what is right? And it all came from, hey, would you go? And just a few well-timed questions invites those conversations. Um, all right, we, I'm like, here we are at the end already. I don't know how that happens. Um, all right, before we go, tell me a book. I know you've already said, you, you mentioned a book that's made you cry, but share a book that has shaped your life and in what way, like, how did it form you? Um, I would say probably the little house on the prairie books, because I read those late in childhood. Um, but then I read them when I was a young mother out loud to my kids and probably again in the middle. And I've read them. I've read a couple of them out loud to my third graders and I, I don't, I don't know how much they've shaped me, but I, I think realizing that the, that this was a family, first of all, that really lived 
that really lived in our country in a very, in very difficult times. And they did what, what they did the work that was before them to survive. And they did it with love for each other, for the place that they lived in. They endured and they loved one another so well that I think that I was able to take that kind of into myself and go, I, we, we can do whatever our hands are given to do. We can do it with love. We can do it together. And, um, I think those are really important books for those reasons. And when we, this is a little off topic, but not really, when we would read those, my kids would be so hungry all the time, particularly farmer boy. So it's like, well, can we have pie and cake for breakfast? And well, I, and I would say, well, if, if you, if we had a farm and you were out there, you know, feeding, feeding the cows at 5am, you could have cake for breakfast, but because their, their, their imaginations were so stimulated. So it was really, really fun to read them again with my kids for that reason, just to see their reactions. And they now read them with their kids. Which we can talk about that. So don't forget, Karen, to bring that okay. next time we meet about passing, yeah. passing stories on. I know. What about you, Renee? What's a story that has shaped you? Um, I'm going to go with, this is no surprise for people that know me. I'm going to go with To Kill a Mockingbird because I taught it for so many years and there are parts of it I can just recite probably by memory. Uh, and there are so many things I love about that book. But one is what it means to be from a place and, and a place that is imperfect and has problems, but it's home and you love it. And and I love that connection to, to the South, to Macomb, Alabama, and all of its glorious imperfections. Um, I love what the book says about what it means to be a woman. I think Harper Lee had so many good things to say about it. It's, it's not necessarily what society expects of you. It's not something on the outside. It's who you are inside. And when that comes out, when it needs to come out, there's that inner strength of character. And I always admired those really strong female characters in the book. Um, I love Miss Maudie who can solve any problem by baking a cake. And I think that's great. You know, make, make friends with the neighbor kids by baking a cake and sitting down and having a conversation. Um, I love Atticus and his, his love for reading and how that he passed that on to his daughter. You know, my mom taught me to read when I was four. I wasn't even in school yet. Um, and the idea of parents instilling that love of reading in their kids just still to this day chokes me up. I love the, the brother and sister relationship and, as crazy as it is, and we're going to do all these crazy things, and we're going to get in trouble, and we're going to try to hide it from our parents, and in the end, you know, they still love each other. Just the picture of small town America, you know, you dress up as a ham, and <laughs> the school pageant, <laughs> that that part of it, I love that part of it. Um, so there, there's just so many, many beautiful parts, and that, and then Boo Radley, I mean, oh my goodness, I named my dog Boo Radley, we had a dog named Radley, for that reason. And, and we would, we would take him to the people would say, what's his name? And I'd say Bradley. And they'd go, Oh, Bradley. I'm like, no, who names their dog Bradley? I'm sorry. If you have a dog named Bradley, I'm sorry, but no, it's Bradley. But, um, Oh, that line. Thank you for my children, Arthur. That, that's just, you know, Atticus thanking Boo Bradley for, for saving his children's lives. And, um, so yeah, great lines, great language, great characters. You can read it over and over and over again my favorite book okay doesn't it just make you want to do like book clubs yes like, we read these books together the world is going to change into the uh, homeschool version of <laughs> book club book club for moms 
<laughs> All right, there you go. You guys can like get on close reads and join in their book club because obviously we're all just like about books. Um, on our Facebook page. Facebook page. Plug for the Facebook page, guys. Yeah, tell us your favorite books. Actually, what was before we started recording? Ray, was it you who suggested Lantern in Her Hand? And you had thrown that one out. Then I was like, oh, I've never heard of that before. And I just think it's so fun when you just throw out some books that are like, hey, I've never read that one before. And true for for our children too, because reading in community, um, it really draws even our kids together. In fact, one of my girls the other day, we got together with some people and I was like, hey, did you have a good time? She's like, yeah, I had a really good time, but she doesn't read. So mm-hmm. we didn't really have as much to talk about. And just how that creates a community, even when you don't relate on other things. Like, you can talk about your favorite books and what you're reading, regardless of whether you homeschool or don't homeschool or what church you go to or whatever. Stories have this remarkable ability to bring communities together. So on that note, find a friend to read with, get on the Facebook page, tell me some books that I should be reading. Um, And here's to home. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.